And as a leader, it's our job to really project that sense of calm and all of that and that, okay, it wasn't what we planned for, but now we, we know we've got to move this way. And, and, and understanding that that's going to be okay. I think that's my, my biggest piece of advice is that you're going to have to roll with the punches in ways that you've never anticipated you know, previously. Hey, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to this edition of Future Ready's Leading Through Unprecedented Times. With me today, we've got Chuck Sampson. Chuck, a superintendent in New Jersey. I am so excited to have you here today. Respect the work that you all are doing throughout your district and excited to have a conversation. So welcome. Can you say hello to everybody and tell everybody a little bit about where you're from? Well, thank you, Tom. And, and first and foremost, thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and watching them done an awesome job of just raising the voices of so many educators across the country. So I'm just pleased to be a part of this and from the Freehold Regional High School District here in Monmouth County in Central Jersey. We represent eight communities, a uh, school district of a little under 11,000 students, six high schools, a high school only district. So a little bit of a different perspective. And I've been here for a decade now and, and, and I love every second of it. That's awesome. Well, I often joke with superintendents, you know, the average tenure of a superintendent's three and a half years. So it looks like you're on borrowed time there, my friend. Huh? Yeah, so, 10 years is a long run. It is, long but run. It, it gives you perspective. You know your community well, you know your families well. Um, so let me ask you this, you know, when we reflect on this past school year, completely upended, your teachers were asked to do things, you know, New Jersey and your area, very, very hard hit by COVID, um, asked to completely redo so much of what they've done. Take some time, if you would, to reflect on this past school year. What were some lessons learned, maybe some surprises? Uh, what did you take away from last year as we really start to look towards this coming year? Yeah, you know, the, one of the biggest takeaways for me was, was not rushing headlong into this. You know, we, um, we, we built in a week before we even engaged in remote learning. Um, our community in particular had a, had a number of, of early deaths from COVID-19 directly related to our, our school system and kids, students of ours and their family members. And so uh, the community was, was in a little bit of disarray and panic. And so we wanted to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to get their family situation straight and, and to prepare for what we were gonna move into. Um, so we took a little, we took a little bit more time with it. And I think that was one of the best things that we, we ended up deciding to do. Uh, and I also think that, um, that one of the biggest takeaways for me is, is really building processes in your planning to pivot as you go. And, and what I mean by that is just building in structures where you're, you're receiving, you have feedback loops that are constantly grinding and giving you information to tell you about what you need to do better, what's going very well, uh, and then what might need to be altered over time. And so we took a very structured approach to this. Um, and the third takeaway for me was districts that had really invested in an awful lot of training of a particular platform and a unified platform before we went to remote learning made that pivot much easier. And so we were fortunate in, in that manner as well. And, and um, you know, had incredibly supportive community and awesome teaching staff and administrators that really worked to the bone to just flip that switch, like you said, and, 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 and move forward. Um, and it was, 
it was some difficult times here in central Jersey at that point in time. Yeah, no, it certainly was, especially being in an area as hard hit as you all were. But I really enjoyed listening to you reflect on how you, you hit pause, you allowed people to take the time that they need, you recognized people first, and it wasn't yeah. math lesson day one most important thing. It was, we need to pause, we need to recollect. And, you know, as a superintendent, hearing you say that, it's so encouraging because there are times where we really need to do hit pause and reprioritize and relook at things as you have. You know, Chuck, let me ask you this. One of the questions that's been coming up that we've been seeing online um, or even concerns from parents, so maybe you're getting it as the superintendent, is our idea around this idea of learning loss. And so people have many, many thoughts on this topic of when we look at the last third to quarter of this past school year, you know, kids are the, the fear about deficits, whether it's from, you know, reading and skills or content. How are you addressing, what are you looking at when it comes to learning loss as we look towards this school year to start this school year? Um, are there gaps that have to be filled? How are you addressing that? What are you looking at when it comes to that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and it's something we're all grappling with. You know, I, I think that the um, the issue of the issue of gaps, whether it are whether it was an opportunity gap, an access gap, um, a support gap, they became so pronounced so immediately in this environment. And and so for us um, here in in, in Creole Regional High School District, we we really set about identifying each and every student by individual in terms of how they might be struggling through this and what that looks like, understanding that the more information that we compiled now about every single student as an individual in this district, the easier it is going to be to meet that daunting task in September when we know that there are gaps. And so we, we built sort of one-stop shopping in each of the high schools, a, a multifaceted, color-coded sort of tracking system where there are four or five adults responsible for every individual student that may not be completing assignments, that might have a parent impacted by COVID, might have a family who's experienced uh, job loss. And so when we, when we exit the school year this year, we're gonna exit this summer with a real live document about every individual student in this district and what they struggled with, how we supported them, what our concerns are for next year. And then I think it's really incumbent on districts to, to take a look at what that first month of the school year looks like. So if, if we are back in September, and it's another question, right? Um, in whatever capacity we're up, that first, that particularly that first month or so of the school year has to look fundamentally different than it has in the past. And so we're, we're, we're ramping up systems now to be able to just quickly assess students and, and, and identify specific needs and, and how we can deploy our resources, you know, in, in, a, in a manner in which students need them. Um, but first and foremost for us, it was really about identifying all of those students as individuals first, connecting with them as human beings first, understanding their particular situation, their particular family dynamic, and then making a decision about how we can best support them as, as, as we move through not just the end of the school year, but over the summer and, and into the next school year. 
Yeah, I respect that tremendously. Just seeing the individual first and trying to understand their story and really respect for having four or five different adults with different lenses trying to support those students uh, goes back to that relational end there as well. Yep. So let me ask you this. You started to talk about this coming school year. And, you know, as we currently film this, we still have a lot of unknowns. You know, the State Department of New Jersey, um, in terms of the guidance they're going to be given or haven't given, what are you looking at as a superintendent? Different possibilities, different thoughts as we start next school year, especially with so many unknowns. Now, when we release this, we might know some things that we didn't know at the time that we were filming yeah. this, but whether around scheduling, around physical distancing, those kinds of things, um, what are some things you're kind of bouncing around as the superintendent there? Yeah, it, it, it's such a shifting dynamic for us, you know, and so right now we're, you know, we're looking at three different scenarios. Scenario one is, is that we're back in school, in the schoolhouse in some sort of regular capacity, and there's going to have to be an awful lot of changes to the infrastructure and processes to make that happen. Uh, option two is some sort of hybrid where, you know, you, you're, you're moving through a particular schedule where kids may be in the schoolhouse on some days and may be home engaged in remote learning on others. And then option three is that we don't open in the fall and we, and we must remain remote. And so each one of those scenarios, um, you know, has some real hurdles to overcome for school systems. You know, I, I think this, this, one of the things that folks aren't really talking about that this pandemic has shined a light on are the, the, the really just the, the lack of infrastructure that schools have, you know, and how dated some of these school buildings are and how congested they are and class sizes and what that all means in, in reality. And when you watch some of the other countries and they socially distance with a high school class of 10, you know, and, and we run 30 deep, it, it's, it's a very difficult and different process for what that might look like for us. Um, and so right now, we're, we're sort of mocking up all three of those scenarios and then working backwards on what needs to occur in order to make that happen. Um, the, social dis the social distance guidelines and the expectations and the PPE needs, um, they're extreme and, and, you know, you have a 54 passenger bus to socially distance on that, you can put 16 kids. So what does that even do to your transportation to get kids to and from school? Um, we have a unit lunch here where 2000 kids traditionally ate lunch simultaneously. And so, you know, we know that that's not a possibility for next year, even if we are back in, in, in September in a regular capacity. So working through that and what that might look like. And so we're playing out all of those scenarios and there's some, you know, real constraints. There's budgetary constraints, there's PPE constraints, there's the constraints of our, 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 our staff that may not um, be able to return with underlying medical conditions, our students whose parents might hold them out. We're planning for that as well, anticipating an increase in the number of students who don't return to school, even if we are open and, and what that needs to be addressed like. And we're, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, really lobby our Department of Ed officials to say, we're going to need an awful lot of flexibility here. Um, and nobody wants to be micromanaged, but we do want some general parameters to work within and then give us, you know, the flexibility to meet those needs of, of, of our communities. But as we take this today, to your point, Tom, there's so many things that are just unknown and, and it's changing so rapidly. It's very difficult. My worst fear is that we, we plan and we go into late August under a particular scenario and then all of a sudden something drastically changes right before September 1 for us and you have to pivot once again. 
And that's been the most difficult aspect of all of this to, to plan appropriately because the guidance shifts so rapidly. Um, and so being able to plan for multiple scenarios and being able to pivot is, is, is what's critical here in, in my estimation. Yeah, and you just captured in a couple minutes time in that reflection there, just a few of the massive decisions superintendents and boards and principals and, and leaders are really trying to make, but still not knowing. And it's, it's you know, we talk in education all the time of beginning with the end in mind, but without knowing what that end is, it's so um, difficult to try and hit that target. But also you mentioned the word flexibility and knowing there's a really good chance we're not going to hit the target and we're going to be flexible in making sure that we do everything we can as it moves to, to meet our kids' needs in whatever capacity that is going to look like. So speaking about that, one of the things that I know you're a huge advocate for that I know, you know has been so vital during this time is around professional learning. So let's think about just from a reflection end from the end of the school year into next year, what are you anticipating around professional learning? How is that shifted, if at all. Um, what's that looked like for you all to really support teachers? Because we know that teachers are changing things here rapidly too and trying to change the way they do things, but they need the support. So what's that look like from a professional learning end from you all? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, te teachers and the admin, they've been heroes through all this. You know, I mean, they've, they've, I I'm so proud of the work that I see on a daily basis that they've done um, and, and, it, and it's been, you know, unexpected and unanticipated. And for, for us, one, one, of our, one, of our, one of our significant learning processes that I think are helping prepare us for the professional learning of our staff is we pivoted all of our summer programs to be remote. And, you know, in, in our district, you know, between our extended school year, our AP Summer Bridge program, our original credit program, you know, we have anywhere between 12 and 1400 students actively engaged over the summer. And so to put all of those programs remote, we had to work with the faculty and staff that had traditionally taught those in, in, in the schoolhouse. And we got a real good idea around what are, what do these processes have to look like to support the teachers through that process for the fall by doing the summer programs first. And, and for us, you know, what it really looks like, collaboration is critical. Um, allowing folks to come in um, and then asking what they need specifically. And not just, I need more time or I need, you know, like what, what you know, soft, from a software perspective, from a, a, a technological tool perspective. And so we've surveyed, we're in the process of finishing surveying our staff on, on, on specifics there. And then an invaluable part of this for us has been, um, you know, not just our administrative team, but our teacher coaches, our teacher coaches who are side by side with our faculty and staff. And, you know, somebody needs support with a particular a, a screencast or something of that nature. They're there and, and, and they support all day long. And so they, they're side by side with our teachers and, and it's real time PD in a remote world in terms of working through some of these programs. So we've seen a lot of success with, with that and we feel real confident with what we've done in the summer and now we know we have to scale that for the fall if we have to be remote. Um, and I think that um, our teachers have, have embraced the fact that you have to live in the unknown and, and that there, there's, there's not gonna be an answer of what a month might look like from now and so you have to lean on your colleagues and your other, the other opportunities of support that the district provides. And we've seen that in droves with our faculty and staff. You know, they've, they've, they've come together regularly 
and it can't be ad hoc. You know, we structure it very, very tightly and diligently to make sure that, you know, we've proceeded with our curriculum writing and things like that. We're just doing it in the remote world. Um, and I think it, it sends the message to our faculty and staff as well is that we know we're in this un unknown environment, but we're going to continue to operate for kids and we're going to find other ways to make that happen. And, and we understand the first and most critical part of that is supporting the individual teachers in their daily endeavors to work with children. Yeah, so well said, and I appreciate that reflection. You know, in this idea of living in the unknown, I will say one thing that we both know is an absolute non-negotiable is this idea of equity. I know you and I have worked on some projects together around equity, equity and opportunity, equity and access. So as the superintendent of a high school district, how are you working to make sure, especially looking forward towards next year, you know, how are you um, prioritizing our traditionally most at-risk groups, our marginalized students, uh, whether it's um, racial, whether it's financial, whether it's special education, how do we work to make sure that those students are always on our priority list and always front and center of our decision-making? So, so first and foremost, you have to understand that you need to embrace working with your, your most at-risk students, your neediest students, your students without support daily. It can't be, we put this program in place and it should work. It, you have to reinvestigate what's happening with individual students within your system over and over and over and over again. And so what we've done is, you know, and I'll give you the perfect example, as this pandemic you know, stretched out into the summer, we gave out about 500 Chromebooks or so in, in, in total for students. Um, but as parents lost their jobs, there was more of a need for devices. We had to alter how we were distributing meals and what that looked like. And, and I, think we've, I think we've altered our meal distribution plan four or five times at this point to be as effective as possible. And, and the way that you help your students that need it the most are that you continually build in processes to re-examine what isn't happening for them. And you, and you do that by reaching out and talking to the, the individuals that need it, saying, what do we need to do to help you? And whether that's a phone conversation, you can't do it. Email isn't the way to do it. You know, it's, it's actually dialoguing with individuals, small groups. We've run all kinds of focus groups here over the past couple months just to say, what does this look like for you? What can we do better? Um, you know, anyone who's, who's reached out with a question or something, you know, we've sat down with them and said, okay, well, why, why didn't this work for you in particular? How can we be better? And I, I think it's um, when, when districts get smug that they've solved some crises is, is when kids fall through the cracks, you know? And so uh, we approach it here every day that there's a, there's a number of kids out there that need us and that things aren't going to happen if we're not there for them this day today. And do we have the processes in place to make sure that happens? And if we don't, what, what needs to be altered? And where do we need to deploy our resources? And understanding that you need to allocate your resources in different ways for, for, for different students, period. Um, and it, and it's, it's not just, um, you know, reaching out to the community is not sending out an email. It's, it's going out into the community and asking questions and then truly reflecting on, on and being honest with yourself as a district and as a district leader with what you might not have done so well, and that's okay. Um, and then learn from it and say, okay, I can better serve kids now because I've learned this, this lesson. And so 
we try to build as many iterative processes into our meetings as as possible um, you know and multiple viewpoints and soliciting that input at every angle and, and then continuing to refine your plans for you know for those children that need it most and that's something that goes on and on and and we understand that one size does not fit all. You got to reach out to different families in different ways, and you got to work with different kids in different ways. And so, our teachers have approached it that way. Our administrators have approached it that way, and our district planning understands that we don't have eleven thousand kids. We have eleven thousand individuals and families with eleven thousand different stories and circumstances, and we've got to best serve all of them. Yeah, very well said. You know, sometimes I've heard leadership be talked about where you're working in the system, but we've also got to work on the system. And hearing you talk, especially if as the superintendent and in making sure that our systems aren't creating the equity issues. And as our systems shift, continuing to reevaluate them to make sure that we really are looking at every child as an individual and meeting each child's individual needs um, really should be commended because that mindset is so key to solving some of these equity gaps. So two final questions for you. I know as a superintendent, you got a lot on your plate, so I'll let you go here in just a minute. But you know, we are in the people business and I think it's shined through so much in what you've shared already. But how as a team, how as a district leader, are you making sure that the human connection, that the human component, that relationships are still really at the heart of all our decision making, really core to our work, especially in a remote environment as we look towards next year? You know, it, it, that's been so difficult in all this is, is making sure that you stay on top of that because it, it's hard to connect through a Zoom call, right? Um, it's hard to read body language and understand how people are really feeling. I think what you message is most important in, in that point. And so from the very start here, our message to our school community was take care, of your, take care of your families and yourselves first and foremost. Make sure that you're ready to take care of others after taking care of yourself and, and understand that you have to have that base laid. Um, and we continue to just reinforce that um, and, and continue to reinforce that we're here for you, we're gonna support you, um, we're going to understand that you're not going to be perfect in, in during a global pandemic on every single day. And there's no, you know, there's no worries about that. You, you know, we're all going to have bad days during this and, and, and that's okay. And I think just creating an environment where people feel that love and feel that connection um, is, is, is really, really critical. I've seen, um, you know, I've seen some mistakes made in this from, from other places where, you know, folks expect everything to just proceed as it was prior to this and, and not recognizing the, the, the trauma that this has brought to so many different people for so many different reasons. And one of the things that I'm proud of that we've done here is whenever, you know, we're, we're, we're questioned about why we're not doing X or taking a certain action, we talk to the individual because I want, I want everyone here to understand that your circumstance is not the person next to your circumstance. And everybody processes this differently. Everybody responds differently. And, you know, we just need to throw our arms around them and say, it's, it, it's going to be okay. We're going to work with you through this. And, and we're all going to move forward together. And we're going to do it at different, different paces. And, and you're gonna, you might be more fearful and somebody else might feel a little bit more emboldened. And that's okay, too. You know, we, we've, got a, we've got a tent for everybody. And I think that when you message that over and over, your community responds to it, your faculty and staff responds to it, and then that 
in turn turns into good things for kids because that's how they approach how they're treating the children in this district. Yeah, so well said. So one final question for you as we approach this this next and coming school year, lots of uncertainty still out there, lots of fear still out there in our communities. What's one piece of advice that you have for school and district leaders, no matter what state they're in, no matter their position, what would you share one piece of advice as we look towards this new school year? Plan for your plans to change and don't become frustrated when they have to, you know, and um, if you get so locked in or dogmatic about a particular approach, you're going to be in for a, a very, very difficult road come September because I, I, I do fully anticipate that things will continue to shift quickly and we'll have to pivot as well. And as a leader, it's our job to really project that sense of calm and all of that and that, okay, it wasn't what we planned for, but now we, we know we've got to move this way. And, and, and understanding that that's going to be okay, I think that's my, my biggest piece of advice is that you're going to have to roll with the punches in ways that you've never anticipated, you know, previously. That's Chuck Sampson, everybody. Chuck, thank you so much for your time today. Keep leading the way. Have a great school year, and thanks for investing your time. Tom, thank you so much for having me, man. It's really a pleasure. True pleasure.